This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 144, Visitors. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. Maybe it's the holidays, maybe it's my new son-in-law. In any case, I've been spending a lot of time recently thinking about taking people on the outside and bringing them inside, creating blessings for host and visitor alike. This week, we will discuss biblical hospitality and Abraham's example, barriers we may be erecting to keep brethren at a distance, the blessings that my guests have brought to the podcast, and how getting everything you want rarely comes from taking everything you can. Let's start with what I've been preaching. Last year, about this time, my daughter showed up to the family gathering with a ring on her finger and a fella on her arm and a date circled on her calendar. That changed the dynamic somewhat in the family, and we like to think changed it for good. But when you welcome in someone from the outside into a communal gathering, a family gathering, that creates ripples, that creates difficulties, hardships, challenges. We choose to welcome those things. Because in the end, we realize that there is more to be gained by welcoming in this outsider and turning them into an insider rather than fighting this process. This year, it was my nephew's turn. He is not engaged, at least at the time of this broadcast, he is not. But he brought a young lady in with him and introduced her to the family, and that also created ripples. Strangers bring something important to our lives. They bring vitality. They bring new perspectives. They bring new experiences, new sources of joy, new sources of encouragement, even correction from time to time. This is a good thing. And when we encounter strangers in the Lord's church, it should work the same kind of way. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, the writer tells us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. The New American Standard Bible is somewhat redundant here. The word hospitality in the Greek literally means love of strangers, which is not to say that you can't show courtesy and generosity of spirit to people who are family, who do belong, who are close friends or whatever, because clearly you can. And certainly if you use the word hospitality in that sense, nobody's going to throw you in grammar jail. But in the purest sense of the word, in the biblical sense of the word, hospitality is extended to people that you do not know people who are on the outside. It's an opportunity for us to find new relationships, not just to strengthen existing ones. In 3 John, verse number 5, we see an example of biblical hospitality. And usually we jump ahead to the contrary example that John writes about, a man named Diotrephes, who was doing the opposite of showing hospitality. But the big takeaway for us is that we have opportunities to be welcoming, to be good hosts as visitors come in among us, particularly in this context, visitors who bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, people who bring a faith of their own, who want to strengthen us and be strengthened in return. John writes, Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that they may be fellow workers with the truth. When we are in a local body of believers, oftentimes we are obsessed with building up relationships among our close and dear friends. 
We are a family. We belong together. We want to be together. We crave these associations. And we take advantage of Sunday mornings, for instance, when we gather together and build up our associations. But sometimes visitors come among us and they get left out because they are on the outside. When I go to a foreign location, when I am in a strange place and I seek out brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm hoping at least at a certain level to be brought into the association of believers. I don't necessarily have to be invited into their home and spend the night with them and things like that. But I do appreciate being made to feel at home in a strange place. We as Christians have an opportunity to do exactly that for those who come in, for the strangers. Now, I fear in our modern day, when it has become increasingly convenient for us to absent ourselves from worship assemblies in general, and certainly from worship assemblies while we are traveling, it's become easy for us to do with a whole lot less than that, for us to content ourselves with pseudo-relationships, with online relationships. We need to make sure that we are actually building up connections to brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we have opportunities to do it in a foreign location, why not go ahead and do that? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, starting verse number 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lacking behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Now, you might argue that every bit of that that we just read has to do with your relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ within a local fellowship, until you get to that last phrase. And when you see practicing hospitality there, that seems to indicate that this attitude that you take toward your brethren whom you know should also be extended toward brethren whom you do not necessarily know. When the visitor comes in among us, we have an opportunity to make them family, to welcome them, to embrace them, and to help them realize that we are, in fact, one body of believers. We are all connected to Jesus Christ, and therefore, by necessary extension, we are connected to one another. The more we act that way, the more functional a body we are going to be. This is what I've been reading. Recently, I finished The Tangible Kingdom by Hugh Halter and Matt Smay, and I have mixed feelings, as is usually the case, when you pick up a book about church building from the discount aisle at your local religious bookstore. There's likely going to be some good things, some not-so-good things, some things I totally object to, and such is the case here. But this book has an interesting perspective on how we present ourselves as a community of believers to the world. If you can imagine a Venn diagram with three circles and the circles overlap, one circle represents communion, which is to say the individual Christian's relationship with God. And then there is another circle that's labeled community, which represents the Christian's relationship with other Christians, especially Christians in that particular area. And then a third circle that is labeled mission, which represents the Christian's connection to his neighbors, to the world at large. In the center of this, the nexus of these circles, is the tangible kingdom, which embraces all three of these relationships. When we come together as the people of God and we are each pursuing our own relationship with God, and we are also pursuing a relationship with our brethren, and we are also pursuing a relationship with our neighbors so that we can show them the truth— 
then not only do we as individuals grow in our ability to impact the world, but also we present a united front. We present a tangible kingdom, a kingdom that you can touch, a kingdom that is visible, a representation of the rule of Jesus Christ in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. Toward the end of the book, the authors introduce barriers that come up that keep us from bringing it all together, that keep us from actually accomplishing God's purposes in our life. And I'd like to share a little bit of this with you. In the first place, there is the barrier of individualism. Everybody wants to do their own thing. And when we come into a body, when we come into a society, there is necessarily going to be some sacrifice of individuality. We're going to have to give up our own way of doing things because we have to. In any group larger than one, there is going to be a need for some people to yield to other people. And all of us are going to have to yield from time to time. Some people are not inclined to do that for whatever rationale they may have, whether they are smarter or more godly than anybody else, more experienced than anybody else. For whatever reason, they are determined to do things their own way. And the more individualistic we get as Christians in our associations with our brethren, the more barriers we put up. We can never be a true community of believers if we consist largely of brethren who are simply doing what they want to do. There's also a barrier of consumerism that separates us from our mission. There's a feeling of entitlement that comes upon us that thinks that the church is really all about me. The church is about serving my own interests. There's a certain degree to which I think we can't get away from that. But at the same time, when we approach the church with regard to what we can get out of it, when that is our entire concept of what the local church is all about, that it is a Lord's Supper distribution service, then we lose sight of what it truly means to be the body of Christ. The barrier between community and mission is labeled materialism, the idea of being caught up in stuff. Why are we not as charitable as we could be? Why are we less generous than we could be? Because we believe in collecting things. I want more for myself. And the association that I have with brothers and sisters in Christ and the association that I have with my neighbors does not feed into my materialistic attitude. So what we need to do is find a way to change. We have to find a way to push back against individualism, push back against consumerism, push back against materialism, and embrace the idea of selfless, generous association with others. Paul calls it a sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and that's exactly what it is. It's a living sacrifice. We give of ourselves completely. We are changing ourselves. We're being made over into his image. We're not being conformed to the world, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. The way we come into the body of Christ, the way that we come into the kingdom, we are worldly centered just like everybody else is. And it's going to take a lot of work for us to get rid of that attitude. With Jesus' help, we can. And if we are able and willing to change ourselves, to welcome Jesus into our lives, then we should also be able and willing to sacrifice in order to welcome others. Ephesians 5 verse 21 tells us that we are supposed to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, that we give ourselves over to his service always. And that includes, especially in this context, not asserting ourselves at the expense of someone else. He goes on to explain in more specific detail how that works with husbands and wives, how it works with parents and children, how it works with servants and masters. 
whatever our relationship happens to be, we are not so caught up with our own things, our own agendas, that we cannot accomplish His things in us. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When Jesus tells us to pray, Thy kingdom come, in Matthew 6 and verse 10, this is what He's talking about, submitting wholly to Jesus and encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same. If we could do that, if we could all come together and truly embrace the idea of being the kingdom of Jesus— The kingdom would be tangible. The kingdom would be something that you could point to and identify. And surely anyone who covets a relationship with God, anyone who sees the value in walking with Christ is going to seek out such ones and do whatever they possibly can to be a part of it. This is what I've been hearing. My favorite episodes to record are the episodes where I have guests sitting in with me. There's a certain joy for me in being able to start the ball rolling and then just let it go. Let it go wherever my guests are going to take it. I will give my guests a certain minimal briefing. I will give them a couple of sentences of introduction, and then they go. They just take it wherever they're going to take it. And I have to have confidence that it's going to work out okay. It's kind of like walking a tightrope a little bit. That's especially the case when the people that I welcome on are people that I do not know personally. And such has been the case with various guests that I've had on in the last few months. I didn't know the Schmitz from the Intimate Covenant podcast and still don't. I haven't met BJ Seip or Jared Saltz. Next week, Lord willing, the geography episode will drop and I'll introduce you to the Appian Media guys, Jeremy DeHutt and Barry Britnell. I haven't met them either. Obviously, I don't want to expose my audience to people who are not going to stand for the truth, people who do not love the Lord, people who are going to introduce something that's going to run counter to the gospel that I'm trying to preach in this place. But sometimes the greatest blessings in our associations with brothers and sisters in Christ comes when we attach ourselves to people who do not come from the same kind of background, people who have a different outlook on life, who have different experiences. They grew up in a different place. They have gone in different routes, experimented with different techniques, and maybe come to different conclusions. We can, as Christians, agree to disagree on certain matters of judgment. And I have found it liberating and encouraging to turn over the reins to other people sometimes and let them drive the bus, let them take this conversation in the way that they would go. Sometimes it goes in directions that I hadn't necessarily planned. That could be a good thing, though, because I'm learning just as much as anybody else is. But as host, I have an obligation to exercise a certain amount of control here. How do I go about doing that? How do I put a functioning podcast together when I don't have control over what's being said? Well, the first thing I have to do, I think, is trust my brethren. I have to do a certain amount of legwork on my end to make sure, as far as I can, that people are going to be standing for the truth. And having established that, I have to believe they're going to teach the truth. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7 tells us that we're supposed to believe all things as part of our love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is not limited to brothers and sisters in Christ in our immediate vicinity. If you are part of the body of Christ, we are connected to one another. And I have to believe that the Spirit is working in you as the Spirit is working in me. That's a good thing. I don't always watch that happen. I don't always see that happen or recognize it when it is happening. But I have to believe that if someone is truly devoted to the things of God, 
They are going to be led by the truth, and they are going to have something to offer me that may hone my ability to search for the truth. It may even correct me in some stand that I'm taking that is incorrect. And the more I can expose myself to thoughtful, insightful brethren in these areas, the better off I'm going to be, the better off my audience is going to be. I need to trust my training also. I need to trust myself, essentially. Realizing that if we do take a turn, and if things need to be brought back a little bit, if I have been giving myself over to the things of God, I should be able to show confidence in directing things the way that they should go. I should be able to respond to twists and turns in a respectful and godly manner. Like Paul says in his conversation with Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It can feel a little bit like a tightrope walk from time to time, but if we truly believe that the Spirit is living in us, if we are being guided through the Word toward holy things, and that we have a grip on those holy things, we ought to be able to trust ourselves to respond properly in particular situations, including in particularly situations that we didn't necessarily see coming up ahead of time. More than any of that, though, we need to be able to trust the truth. We need to trust that the truth will come out if Godly people have Bibles in front of them, and they are pursuing the truth. The truth will win. In James 1, verse 21, we read, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. That humility is a big part of it there. If I am humble enough to believe that the truth is the important thing, whether I have it or whether my guests have it or whether we both have it or neither of us has it, that the truth is ultimately going to reveal itself and the people of God who love the truth are going to seek and find that truth. The truth is always going to be a blessing to me. Whether I'm the one who is finding the truth or whether I'm the one who is a beneficiary of the truth that's being revealed by other people. I'm going to be better off because I exposed myself to it. The more heads we get together, the more thinking we do, the more communal thinking we do with regard to the things of Jesus, the better off we're going to be. Lots of times we have this conversation with regard to public Bible study, how great it is that everybody gets together and everybody has a say and everybody contributes. We're learning from one another in these situations, not just learning from ourselves. That's one of the reasons why I have guests on the program, so that I can grow personally and so that I can help you grow as well. The more heads, the better. This is what I've been playing. In the Hammonds house, having visitors means playing games. That's pretty standard stuff. You may not be surprised to hear that. Why, just a, a few weeks ago, uh, Edwin Crozier and his family were traveling through the area. And, whoops, I apologize. I'm so clumsy. I think I just dropped a name. I hope that didn't hurt your ears any. But they were here traveling through town, and we got some games out, and we were able to have a great time and get to know each other considerably better that way. One of the games that we did not play, that we thought about playing, but is one of our favorites in such situations, is a game called New York Slice, or as my family calls it, the pizza game. It's a game where you're putting together pieces of pizza, trying to score points by being the one who dominates the pepperoni category or the mushroom category and trying to avoid the anchovies and that sort of thing. This was one of the games that we played with Chris Emerson when he came through a few years ago and did it again. I'm so clumsy. I'm sorry. Yet another name. Apologies. Anyway, we played the game with Chris and by the end of the evening, he had ordered it for his family. New York Slice works because of a very simple principle. 
in gaming circles and in parenting circles. It's called I Cut, You Choose. If you have only one piece of cake left or one piece of pie or whatever, and two people are bickering over it, one cuts and the other one chooses the slice. It could not possibly be any fairer than that. In New York Slice, if it's your turn, you get to decide how the pizza gets divvied up. If there are four players, you get to separate it out into four sections. But you're the last one to pick. And so you better make them relatively fair or else you're going to get the leavings. And you don't want that. The only way that you can get what you want is to make sure that other people get what they want. It's a really kind of a tricky way of being generous. But I love the idea of seeing yourself benefited because you worked for the benefit of somebody else. It reminds me a little bit of Paul's attitude in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 21 and following. He writes, For to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He's saying there that what's best for me in the long term is not necessarily the best thing for everybody else. But by giving to other people, I can find some benefit there for myself. We have to come to grips with this idea of giving so that we can get. Because there's no solo mode in the Lord's Church any more than there is in New York Slice. If you were to be the only one playing, you could collect 100% of every one of the pizzas and win the game going away and have a miserable time at it. Because you're missing the whole point. The reason that you come together in a game like this is so that you can engage, so that you can connect with people. When we, as the people of God, come together in communities of believers, we deliberately set ourselves up for maybe not failure exactly, but not getting what we want. Because by doing that, we enhance the ability of the whole. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse number 11 and following. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. By serving in whatever role we are given to serve in, whether it's high profile, low profile, no profile, whatever, we give as best we can. And when we do that, the body benefits. The body is built up for the work of service. Every aspect of the body is built up. We all get stronger, and the body collectively gets stronger. And because the body is getting stronger, I, as a partaker in that body, am also getting stronger. That's one of the the weird little twists to this. By serving others, by putting others first, I myself am benefited. Paul talks about this also in Philippians chapter 1, starting verse number 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness." How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
what a wonderful thing it is to be partakers in other people's participation. As other people are growing, as other people are approaching Jesus, we are there with them. And there is a side benefit to that. Personal satisfaction is found in helping other people grow. And personal growth is achieved when we are part of the body that is growing. Whenever everybody gets what they want, everybody's more satisfied. Now, in the purest sense of the word, of course, the game doesn't work like that. That is a competitive game, and you're trying to do best for yourself. But it's a reminder for us that the best way to serve your own personal interests is not necessarily go out there and grab everything you can possibly grab. I think you'll find that in real life, if your number one job is to take as much as you possibly can take, you're going to wind up friendless and alone and without the things that you really were striving for. Jesus' way works better, which should not be a shock to us. By giving first, by contributing to the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ, by ministering to others' needs, whether they are friends or not, we can all come together into a more harmonious union. If you are looking for a close relationship with Jesus, if you're looking for a close relationship with your brethren, the key is not to change their attitude. The key is to change your attitude. Be willing to sacrifice. Be willing to share. Be willing to put others first. If you do that, the path toward success and satisfaction and ultimately heavenly glory will be paved for you. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.